Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is The Pit Show, where I, your host, your pal, Jay Miller, can often be found sitting down thinking about stuff. And occasionally, I get a friend to come and join along with the uh, pontifications and thoughts. And I don't even know if I've ever used that word correctly. But we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the ADHD that I have. And uh, hopefully, I'll get some insight from my guest this week, Brittany Smith, who is a productivity and ADHD coach, but also has a master's degree in neuroscience. So I can say nine times out of 10, Brittany, how does it feel to be the smartest person to ever be on this podcast? (laughs) I don't know that you have proof of that, but I'm really excited to be here. I have done a Meh, mediocre job explaining who you are, what you do. Why don't you give everybody like a better understanding of, uh, what do you do these days in the world of productivity, ADHD, technology, and all those other things that you're interested in? Yeah, I coach people on those things. I also sometimes make videos about those things. Um, but yeah, as as a coach, somebody usually comes to me and says, hey, I'd like this thing to be going better than it's going right now. And I go, that's awesome. We should make a plan for that. And we make a plan for it and tackle it. And on the technology side, it might be, I just need to know how to use my Mac better. And We'll go through the different parts and like what they want to do with their Mac and how to make it work better for them. Or it might be somebody who has ADHD and they could have any number of things they want to work on. Uh, It could be task management or, um, you know, I I get a lot, quote, get organized, which is sort of a joke with my colleague and I, because that means something different to everybody. Um, or, Or it could be, you know, back in the days when we used to go places, getting out of the house on time, common ADHD struggle. Um, sleep is always a common one. Um, establishing routines and figuring out like what to actually work on in the midst of all the things we theoretically could work on. And that stuff has not gotten easier in the last year. It's gotten harder because Definitely. you're at home and there's less structure. And yeah. Have you seen that too? Uh, a little bit. It, it's It's been an interesting journey for me. I think it was that I wanted to work for work from home for so long because I I kind of need that independence to like do what I want. I, I often tell people like my I had automated a process on my computer and then it was running. But because I was using something like Keyboard Maestro, like I literally couldn't touch my computer because like the mouse was flying all over the place and doing stuff. So (laughs) I would literally hit run and then just walk around the building. And one day my boss's boss asked me, he's like, I see you walking around a lot. Like, shouldn't you be at your desk working? And I was like, Oh no, if I'm at my desk, the least amount of work that I could do in a single day gets done. (laughs) Did they ever understand what you meant? They did after they were like, wait, what? And I was like, here, just just walk with me. And like we walked downstairs (laughs) and I showed him and my computer's just going ping, 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 ping. And he goes, "Okay, never mind. I'm leaving now. (laughs) Awesome. I'm glad because sometimes they are less uh, listening. So you you mentioned a couple of things there that I I wanted to to ask about. And the first one is um, the original question was like, well, what's the difference between like therapy and like coaching? But you, you really did mention it in that as a coach, it is we're here to solve a very specific problem and help you in kind of figuring out what problems there are and the order in which they should be solved. And they kind of tie into the direct 
now, not necessarily like, let's examine why this is a problem, but it's more like, okay, we recognize that this is a problem. How do we fix it? Yeah, you touched on some of the biggest things. One is, one is um, the coaching tends to be now and future thinking, and therapy has a little bit more leeway in the past. Um, mostly, I care about the past insofar as what has worked or not worked for you in the past to solve this problem, but it's always with an eye for how do we make this better? How do we like bring you in better harmony with your brain and your environment? Um, and, and just more satisfied with what you're able to do. So it's very looking towards the future, even though I may ask a few questions about the past. And, and yeah, the other one is it's coaching tends to be action oriented. Some people dive into personal learning and exploration, uh, too, but it's, uh, from a more looking forward kind of way. Uh, what I mean by that, what, one of the definitions for the International Coaching Federation is coaching assumes that clients are creative, resourceful, and whole. And although some people may argue whether or not they think ADHD is whole, I think it is. Um, what it does mean if there's too many other coexisting conditions, it can get in the way of coaching. And so it, it has happened where I've asked someone like, hey, do you need a break for a little while and come back to this? Because they weren't making progress and I felt weird like it was unethical to continue taking money when they were not making progress, right? <laughs> so, yeah. It's, so that does like, happen sometimes. It's almost like if you're in a car and your e-brake is on and your foot is on the, the brake as well, and then you <laughs> yeah. just start laying on the gas. And it's like, I mean, you can waste all the gas in your car if you want, but, but you got a beautiful metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got to disengage a few other things before we can actually start moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And sometimes there'll be a thing that I'm like, ooh, I get the vibe. This is a therapy question. I may say, like, do you have a therapist you could explore that with? Uh, when I'm just like, wow, this is completely out of my wheelhouse. I am not qualified to do this. <laughs> and, um, and then uh, if they don't have one, I'll try to help them find it or something like that. But yeah, I think you had a really good definition. You, you could go out and tell the world that and not offend very many people. Look out world out here. There's a new ADHD and productivity coach on the loose. No, never. <laughs> I have enough problems let alone to help people with others. Well, and, and if you don't mind, can, can we go into that area of, are, do you, are you diagnosed with ADHD? Absolutely. Okay. So it, it, how do you, how do you work around the idea of this works for me versus this works for them? Because I know like that's the one thing that I've struggled with so much of p other people that have ADHD that like imprint their <laughs> symptoms and <laughs> solutions on, Oh, just get a fidget cube. Like, no, I will. I will want to throw a fidget cube at you. <laughs> 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 yeah. The funny thing, um, and you, you see it a lot. And the reason you see it a lot is because one of the things that a lot of ADDers love is to help other people. And like, oh, there's this thing. It might work for you, too. Um, but they're like so enthusiastic that they almost can't hear. But no, um, and, you know, like it's hard for me to hate that enthusiasm. But I also don't hear that from a lot of people because uh, <laughs> they usually come to me because they're looking for solutions. Um but, I, you know, I've worked with a lot of people and I've observed what doesn't work. I think I do take my scientist trained mindset into a lot of things. Um, and, you know, your first thing you do is is really observe what is what is this data? What is it telling you before you try to influence their own things? If somebody's out of ideas, which has been true a lot in the last year, um, 
I may say, hey, this has worked for some folks or this has worked for some folks. Um, but if they seem like they're not enthusiastic about it, um, I don't assume that that problem is solved. <laughs> uh, but sometimes you need ideas to get it triggered. But once I've learned a little bit about somebody's working style, I my guesses get better. Um, and I always want to hear what they have to say, whether it actually works. I always want somebody to tell me, I don't think that would work for me. Um, and I'll only get I'll only push back really if I need to challenge some of their assumptions potentially. Um, you know, I can't do this because sometimes the can't is is what we call a self-limiting belief. Um, and, and maybe they can do things that they just haven't seen a way to do it yet. Um, but that doesn't mean I would say like, and now you have to do this my way. Because <laughs> there is so much variability. But I will learn styles. Like, um, even if it's just tech coaching, like, okay, this person really likes being in the finder and having this visual path. I'm not going to go suggest they search for all their files. Um, <laughs> somebody else who's like, I don't understand this file system. Make it go away. They use Siri to find their files, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and that kind of goes into one of the things that you did this past year, which I, I got to, to be witness to because it was awesome. Um, your talk on cognitive science behind shortcuts that you you gave at Macstock. I one, I wish that there was more I don't want to say like science-backed productivity like <laughs> help cuz I don't want I don't want people to believe they're like anti-productivity people other than me, I guess. Um but the, <laughs> that they're like people that are just like let's take I don't want to say some of the feel good either. How do I word this? How do I words? Um, I don't want to say like, we need to understand what productivity is and means and how certain tools, how certain systems can be advantageous or disadvantageous to folks that um, may be, you know, neuroatypical. And that that is something that... Again, I just wish there was there were more people talking about and I've been working to find more and more people that are like, when you do this thing, when you play around with this, when this thing happens, that's endorphins happening or that's, you know, something that makes you happy. But can you can you go into a little bit of detail about how I guess your science, your like academic process can play a role into understanding how certain things may and may not work. Yeah. Um, and so part of it, I feel like I should say how I got into tech and productivity, which was I was in graduate school and just struggling. You have this big, giant, unstructured project with very little support. And like, I was just desperate for tools. I mean, yeah, I, I'll, it's sort of a standing joke about like, okay, well, you know, what did you do to guard against your Google rabbit holes? And I, I, I hit all of the standards of Google rabbit holes during that phase of life. Um, but I was already studying cognitive neuroscience. And, and so the way that worked was to um, like, as I'm finding the productivity stuff, I'm already studying the science. And so I'm, as I'm reading the productivity things or like, uh, you know, I started doing my automation at that time too. I started with keyboard maestro. Um, and it was amazing. You're right. Like endorphins, dopamine, whatever. Um, cause you can't actually 
do that kind of recording in humans usually. Um, uh, that's why I don't know the answer. <laughs> and so, so, um, so yeah, I had, I was doing all of that stuff while I was studying the cognitive neuroscience. Um, and by the way, it's probably a combination of chemicals, but the fact is happy thing happened instead of angry thing happened. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so I'd study, I was already in the cognitive science. And so that increasingly I found myself attracted to the papers that were really about practical, um, sides of cognitive science. Um, you know, instead of just, uh, Hey, it's really interesting. This neuron is firing when it looks at a circle with lines in this direction in chimpanzees. And I was like, yeah, but, but how does that make me do things? And so (laughs) I was more and more drawn to the cognitive side where it was like, okay, I, I took this beautiful class on attention failures. And of course I was interested in attention failures and on, on working memory. And, um, and I was like, yes, I can see how all of these things are applying when I do this task or this task. So I really came at it from a cognitive science first and then productivity and, and technology second. So you're not, you're not like giving people shortcuts to run and then like treating it almost like a Pavlovian response. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I will encourage them to do that. I do agree that I think that there is a there's a level and, and not to get too far into the the sciencey weeds. Um, I do think there is a level of why do you do that thing? Because I like to and it makes me feel good when I do it. Like, I think that that's a level of productivity that I mean, you, we could give seminars on that and pack conference stadiums and stadiums and all this other stuff. It's just like. I always see so many talks revering the idea of do more, do more, do more, do more. And it's like, can I just find happiness in what I am doing? (laughs) Like if I can get to there, then I can start thinking about how can I do more? Yeah. And, and, and this, these were things I discovered. Like, I feel like all my stories are stuff I discovered in graduate school that has nothing to do with my thesis. Right. But, um, but yeah, I, I had been really down on things like positive psychology before I'd actually started graduate school. I didn't really know very much about it, but I was like, Ugh, I just want to get stuff done and blah, blah, blah. But what I discovered is when you're miserable, you're not productive. And, <laughs> and that makes so sense. <laughs> that is the first thing. Like I can set up my calendar perfectly, but if it turns out I have bad seasonal affective disorder that's tripled by the fact that I haven't left the house in three days... Um, then guess what? Every single time slot that is not filled up with an actual meeting, I'm not getting very much done because I just can't beat my brain up that much to force it to. And if I did, because I can, you can for a short period of time, then you burn out. And that is also not productive. And so once I learned like, oh, happiness means more productivity, that was very game changing for me. <laughs> So we, we've talked a little bit about like some of the things that we really enjoy doing, but I, I, I get this idea in my head that like what some people see as a, a superpower, I guess an ADHD superpower can often become a weakness. And I'm talking about that thing that every ADHD person knows about that people that don't have ADHD think is like the greatest thing in the world, which is like hyper-focus. Um, 
questions. <laughs> I have questions. <laughs> I have so many thoughts. I'm going to try not to get angry at productivity gurus in the middle of this. Okay. So there have been a few books, um, some that were scientific, some that were more not, um, that talk about this idea of, of reaching like a flow state and kind of getting into the groove and, and, and figuring it out. And while yes, that is a really amazing thing. And it's something that, um, people with ADHD, when they have something that they enjoy, um, is very easy to do. It can mm -hmm. often lead us into like, I guess a danger zone where you, I don't know, spend 14 hours trying to beat your high score in Tetris. Um, that's not a personal <clears throat> story. Yes, it is. Um, how, how can we, first of all, how can we utilize some of our ADHD, um, I don't want to say issues, but our ADHD superpowers for good, but also how do we know how we can like jump off of the hyper-focus train. Mm -hmm. And it's not easy. Like, I feel like the further I am in it, the harder it is to get out of. The way I look at hyper-focus is on the positive side, it is flow, right? When it's going well, it's flow. When it's not going well, not what we meant to do, not something that, you know, in Cheek Set Me Highs, um, the way he talks about it, bring you happiness, you know, when it's the bad side, it's hype. It's a, it's a rabbit hole. So on the good side, it's flow on the bad side. It's a rabbit hole. And the difference is like, how much control do you have over it? And like, is it what you meant to be doing or not? I mean, the, set, the latter being the easy question, is this what I meant to be doing? <laughs> <laughs> but, it, it, but you wind up into these, these traps where like, uh, good example, I've been in meetings all day today. I have not, I think I had a beef stick at lunch from like a gas station because I had to drop off some stuff. Um, but it's like, other than that, I have not eaten. And that is my problem to deal with. <laughs> but at the same time- dinner. <laughs> Again, I could have, but I, I guess the, the easy way to word it is I do a lot of diversity work at my job and it's like, it's my job to make sure that people of color and people from underrepresented groups, uh, get funding for a lot of the projects that they have. And this is something that I'm passionate about and I love. And when mm -hmm. I start working on it, it's like, what time is it? Oh, it's seven o'clock. I was supposed to leave work three hours ago. Well, I guess I can sleep in for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's a slippery slope. It yeah. is. <laughs> it, it is. And there's a lot of stuff around that. And yeah, you're right. Um, it's interesting. Both ADHD and autism are very interest-based Uh neurodiverse brains. Um, I mean, there are obviously differences in how they're handled and, and how we treat our interests. Um, usually in that ADDers change them really quick, <laughs> like rapidly. <laughs> but um, I mean, you can keep a piece of it, but the example I always give is, uh, oh, you don't care. <laughs> just like, this is not what we're supposed to be talking about. Sorry. <laughs> the, the point is we get down these rabbit holes and um, and they can be bad. And yes, it's sometimes usually something that we're interested in. Really, the way the best guard against it is to figure out in advance how to come up for air and and have a, a thing in place in advance. 
Um, the second super important thing that is usually missing is when whatever you set up to remind you to come up for air goes off, believe that you actually need to come up for air. Mm. That's that's where it falls down sometimes because you can set all the timers in the world and just let them go. <laughs> that makes me think of the, um, there's like a free diving thing. There's like a documentary that I watched on it where people were like free diving and one of the things that they have to do because you don't have an oxygen tank and no matter what you tell yourself, like you need to stop halfway through your air supply. Not, not when you've run out. Um, so <laughs> part of yeah. that, because it's too, it's like a twofold problem. You can't just like go as hot and, you know, go up as fast as you want because pressure and yeah, that's how people like, stroke out and die and like that's not good we don't want that so it's like you have to have the discipline of knowing like while i could continue going down i need to trust that i can give myself enough time to come up for air and that's actually a, one of the things that i've noticed that you do um in your live streams is like when you when you're trying to process a bunch of stuff you set timers of like we're not going to be on this all day like we're not yeah. we're not going to let ourselves get so far that you know we're avoiding all of the warning signs that you're you're going too deep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cuz after a while it really for me does get worse well one the later it is um in the day and the fewer other resources I have from things like eating or um sleeping or <laughs> exercising. Um then the worse it's going to be. Um you know the later it gets the the lower our willpower is. Once I did this with programming and automation really early in, um, and I just keep doing the thing and wouldn't get up because I was like, I'm about to solve this problem. No, no, no. I'm about to solve this problem. And sometimes it would turn out that like two and a half hours later, I'd finally get up and realize I was solving a problem that didn't exist because that wasn't what the client even wanted. <laughs> that that sounds like me on a regular basis. I, I will have calls with people where I'm like, hey, can I just take a little bit of your time to understand a problem better? And we'll go through it for two or three hours and we'll get to the end of it and just be like, you know what? I could just take this feature out. <laughs> like, it doesn't. It, it would be a simpler problem if it didn't exist. <laughs> And I, I always feel somewhat bad because like we wind up like learning and doing all of this stuff. And to me, it was the it was all about the journey, not necessarily the destination, I guess. But, you know, for them, it's like, hey, you asked me a very specific question. And in my head, it seems like the question is that all of that simple, like, hey, how do I enable how do I get this thing to work in Python? The question was never should I even be doing this? Yeah, yeah. And and that is one of the coaching questions that I try to ask is, what? why is this meaningful for you? Um, like, you know, what, what do you hope that to accomplish by doing this thing? And, and by doing that, it keeps you focused on the goal, both of us. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's what somebody really wants out of, because we're really good with ADHD at inventing lots of extra simple tasks, not so great at. We're really good at making things incredibly complicated. And so uh, I want to make sure if somebody's saying like, I want, I want this, you know, 
automation system to do all these things for their morning routine. But if I'm not asking first, like, what is your morning routine supposed to accomplish? They could have added these steps in and they're not based on the logic that ties back to the question. And if I miss that, I feel terrible. And so I always want to try to figure out like, okay, you want this thing. Like what, what is it about it that will make a difference to you? So we know where to focus our time like at all, because, you know, at the end of our meeting, it's the end of our meeting and I want to make sure we made real progress. So yeah, it's, it's a serious problem. So I have, I have one last question before we jump into the after show, which by the way, folks, if you don't know, that means you're new here at the end of every show. It becomes my guest show and we get to figure out what they've been wanting to ask me all this time, even if it is just nothing. So uh, stay tuned for that even after the music. But the the last question that I really that I had for you was how how do you actively convey kind of all of the different passions and hobbies like i see you on mac voices i you know i hear you from time to time on other shows and like you're you're doing all of this stuff but it does it i guess does it feel like you're you're being able to express who you are or just like a little like segment of who you are when you're doing those things each one is a little segment for sure um because I'm going to talk about things a little bit differently if I'm, say, at the International Conference on ADHD, or I'm going to talk about things a little bit differently on Mac Voices, um, because I'm not talking to an ADHD crowd, right? I'm talking to the technology crowd. And I do, you know, as much as I have the cognitive resources at the moment, because I still have ADHD, um, I try to focus what I'm saying for the particular audience to have it be the most relevant and meaningful to them or who I think the audience is, I could be wrong. <laughs> and so it is only one piece at a time, but I think it all adds up to who I am. If that makes sense. It, it does. And, and I will say, I feel like I am the exact opposite of that, where I just make people realize from, from like the start, like, Hey, you're getting the ADHD, like <laughs> spaced out version of me. Like we might start talking about one topic and if it goes somewhere completely different and that topic is more interesting then I guess it was supposed to go that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just me is a big giant thing because, you know, I'm a weird ADD -er and pathologically incapable of being boring and all those things that come with that like huge ADHD personality. And so they're all authentically me. I just I just try not to overload people all at once with the all of the me. I think that's the difference is I'm, I'm perfectly <laughs> fine overloading them. And I mean, even even with that, I think that there are ways that you can and maybe this ties into that whole like hyper focus idea of like, how do you how do you find the ability to focus on things? And it's like, well, make them fun. I will be the first person to tell you I have I have weaseled my way into doing things that I want to do at work. <laughs> in many ways. I don't even understand how I get away with it, but it's like, I didn't get hired to do diversity work, but somehow I made it my job. And now it's like a thing that is an important part of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. And it, it helps our company and it helps me and it helps other people. 
And it's something that I'm so passionate about that it's like, I don't have a problem wanting to do those things. But then when it comes time to like, oh, hey, we need you to also fill out all of the financial reports that have to go with all that stuff. And that's like, oh, where's a programs person? Um, (laughs) Let me me work with them. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, it sounds like you found where your strengths are and where your interests are. And in ADHD, those are often have a high level of overlap. And yes, if you really can find somebody else to help you with the paperwork billing part, totally do that. <laughs> I don't I don't always ask, but there are definitely times when I need to. <laughs> My sister's a doctor. I was like, just get a scribe. Take it out of your salary and get a scribe. You'll be so much happier. <laughs> yes. Well, and oh man, there's there's so much that we could talk about in that area. I will I I'll have to hold on to a little <laughs> bit of it and bring you back for a second episode sometime. But uh, good. let's wrap this one up so we can jump into the after show. Where can people find out more about all the stuff that you're doing? All right. My website is conquer.consulting. That's where my coaching is. My coaching does have a very long wait list for one-on-one coaching, but I'm really, really excited. A colleague and I are offering the ADHD Guild, which is a support group that includes once a month coaching. Um, So it is a way to get some coaching, but also accountability from a whole guild and like an online community and, um, and some lessons and things like that. And so I'm really excited to tell people about our ADHD Guild that starts March 3rd. Um, on Twitter, I am the ADD Liberator for, well, most of my personal stuff and lots of nerdy tech talk. And for most of my business tweets, it's conquer underscore consulting. Um, I occasionally do some stuff on YouTube. They're usually about technology and brains, um, but often uh, just short little Apple tips for iPhones and stuff. And occasionally live streams where I just work on camera, apparently. That's the thing I'm doing now. I've um, enjoyed I, those. <laughs> My coach dared me to. So that there, there you go. Um, she said she wants more to exist in the world. And since she wasn't in a position to do it, she said I should. <laughs> I feel like, I don't, is, is that an abuse of power? <laughs> um, she suggested it. Um, no, I, it, I, In I, response to a question I directly asked, which was, I feel like I need to dedicate more of my like real video time to like making paid courses or things for my guild. And, but I don't want to abandon YouTube. What do I do? And she actually had an idea. And so I've been trying it out. Yeah. I, I, I joke in that that's, I always get mad when people give me advice that I know I should take. And I'm like, but I don't want to. I know. Right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being my guest. And like I just told everybody listening, well, that will be listening, um, the show's not over. In a few minutes uh, or a few seconds, uh, Brittany's going to be asking me questions and I don't know what they are. I hope that she knows. She may not know. Who knows? We always go by ear. But if you want to catch the after show, just keep listening. And if you want to hear any of the other conversations that I've had with either myself or one of my guests, you can do so. Go to podcast. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. I think it's podcast.productivityandtech.com or you can check out this and the many other developer technology, productivity, ADHD things that I do over at kjymiller.com. You can follow me on Twitter at kjymiller and that's it. So for myself and for Brittany, we have an after show to get to. Brittany, are you ready? I think so. 
Okay, here are the rules. Now that you've heard the rules, um, I'm good for as long or as little as you want to answer whatever questions that you have. I am basically an open book as long as I know the answer. Um, so from this point on, the show is yours. I would love to hear your ADHD story. Um, I, I don't really, I'm trying to think. So do you want to hear the, like, when I realized I had ADHD or when I like, or like the productivity behind it? <laughs> um, the former, but I'm also interested in the latter. Okay. The, uh, the latter one is, is a common tale of, of <laughs> my story. So the former is a little bit more interesting. Little known fact, I skipped a grade. Um, I skipped first grade. I learned my grandfather was a very like studious person and wanted me to be really smart. So he, always, he was like teaching me to read when I was super young. So when I got to kindergarten, I knew all the stuff, but because I was, you know, you're playing a lot of the time. So like, that's fine. You're great. Once you get to first grade, there's a little less playing and more like, okay, now we need to teach you letters, numbers, basic math and those things. I knew that already. So <laughs> I struggled to pay attention. And, and basically the teacher was like, well, we'll just give you more work. And I did it. <laughs> and they were like, well, we don't know what else to do. He's done. He's done all of the first grade stuff in the first six weeks. So what do we do? And they said, well, I guess send him to second grade and have him continue. <laughs> so that was kind of the, that was kind of the story the idea that people kind of realize like there's something here because it wasn't necessarily like I was, I mean, call it smart or whatever, but you're in first grade. It's like reading, writing, basic arithmetic. Like, sure. If you can do all those things, good job. But it was a sheer desire to go through the entire curriculum book and answer all the questions and be self-driven to do it, that they were kind of like, okay, yeah, something, something's up with this kid. <laughs> and I didn't realize, like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've probably done the terrible thing that you should never do to other people and be like, Oh, my ADHD is acting up. Um, I probably did that. Well, I know I did that at some point, but I didn't really realize that it was ADHD until probably I was like 25, 26, Mm. And like all of the signs were there. I, I had like a, a really bad gaming addiction where I would play video games. I already mentioned, you know, mm -hmm. my 14 hour Tetris bender. Um, that's, mm -hmm. you know, never hear those words together, I guess. But, you know, when all of all of the signs were there, but I think it it got to a point where I knew what to do. And I could not do it. And I had so much mm -hmm. anxiety over like, it was like I created the process in which I needed to do these things. I, I wrote the, the guide on like step one, do this, step two, do this, step three, do this. But I could not do it. And it, eventually I had an anxiety attack and like broke down and they were like, people were like, you need to get help. <laughs> and uh -huh. I, I did. And it was weird in that I got help for the anxiety and my psychiatrist was like, 
are you taking anything for your ADHD? And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, you have ADHD. And I was like, oh, no, I don't. I didn't know that. And at that point, it was kind of like, it was one of those things where like when I asked my mom, she was like, yeah, we just, I mean, you grew up in an era where ADHD wasn't really treated in the black community. Like we just thought you were a bad kid. So yeah. I was like, oh, thanks. Yeah. Gosh. Oh, we just thought you're a bad kid. Oh, <laughs> actually, that was another thing I was wondering if you could talk more about. Um, I am very invested in the ADHD community and I'm on the board of a uh, junior member, but on the ADHD coaches organization board. And obviously, like many people in our country in the last year, we have been actively seeking to know how we can better serve underserved groups who are less likely to, you know, get diagnosed and treated when they're younger. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to that, because I always want to learn more. I think that the biggest the biggest help is, well, I will say that now that it's like my generation are the parents, um, <laughs> helping the parents realize that they have ADHD. I think that was the big difference. I was fortunate that I got diagnosed around the same time that, you know, we had uh, my daughter. Um, mm -hmm. I and so for me, it was, it was kind of like, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of those, I guess, preconceived notions or those, like we always hear as kids, like, oh, you know, you, you act like your mom or you act like your dad. And it's <laughs> like, well, I mean, it, there might be, there might be some genetic re reasons why that <laughs> happens. And, and like, we don't think about that. We just chalk it up to like, Hey, your parents got what they paid for, I guess. Um, so, so like being able to help people who have been told their entire time that they have a quote unquote problem and just like helping them to understand, like, it's not a problem that will do so much for the community as a whole. Mm. I saw, I, I, I have to admit, I, I really like TikTok, but yeah. I like the side of TikTok where it's like people that have, um, differences, like physical differences. I, I, I hate the term disability, but I always fail to find another word for it. Mm -hmm. Um, so like I listen, I watch a lot of TikToks from folks who are deaf or folks who are on the autism spectrum or, or, you know, folks that do have ADHD. And it's so encouraging to see young creators that are advocating for like, if you need help, like even if, even if your parents won't get you the help, here are some things that you can try. Here are some of the things that you can do. They're not calling it coaching because it's not, it's not, it's just like, I get it. I didn't have a solution either. And this is what I do. And it helps just a little bit. And that's like, so it's so lovely to see because I see, again, my daughter taking things from me. And part of me always wonders, is it like, oh, no, is she going to wind up with like ADHD too? And it's not that it's a bad thing, but it's like, am, am I like, Am I conditioning her to to be able to exhibit some of those symptoms? And I don't know how it works. I think that's the <laughs> other thing is helping to teach parents, like, how does that work? If I have ADHD, can I give it to my child? Is it something that can be developed over time? Is it something that can be, you know, I guess, 
pre, not preventative, but like pre-acknowledged so that you can mm-hmm. say, hey, you are all, you will most likely have to deal with this. Let's get into the habit of figuring out what works for you now as a child so that as, when you get older, it's going to be so much easier for you. But again, all of that comes back to most of the parents that are having to do that don't even know that they have ADHD. Yeah. By the way, that was beautiful. Um, got little tingles. Like, <laughs> yes, that's what you do. You talk to them about it. Um and you say, hey, and I've got this thing, too. Not like it's them. Like, oh, you have this thing. So blah, blah, blah. It's like you have the parent who has ADHD because, you know, if you're talking about genetic parents, it is completely genetic. They don't actually develop it later. You just might show symptoms more at a different point in your life or less symptoms at a different point in your life. But um, like the massive brain structuring, like it's not it doesn't change that differently. Um, and there's some things you can do like there's. There are certain things in the environment that can make symptoms appear worse or better. Um, But yes, like the modeling of, hey, you have this thing. So do I. Let's figure out what works for you. You can try the things that work for me or we can try something new. And that's almost like so much of what I do. Yes, with adults that I coach, but also teenagers. It's okay. So I know you already have a ton of resentment around this thing that your parents have been yelling you to do for, you know, 10 years. But like, how do we figure out what works for you? And whatever that is, I will defend it to your parents. If it's actually working, I will defend it. They do not have to, you don't have to do things their way. You have to do the way, things the way that work for you. And I do model that in case, because a lot of times their parents haven't, even if they suspect or know they have ADHD, they may not have modeled that. So I might say, so I used to do this mistake when I was in high school. Do you ever do that? Or I'd like tell, and I'll tell disclosure, like full disclosure. And I wish all parents would do this. It's like, I am telling you my humiliating story. I am letting you see that it is real and that it had a real impact on me. I'm telling it in a light way, but like, this is a real thing I struggled with. And I'm telling you that story. Yes, partly so you open up, but also you realize it's legit, not just you. (laughs) So many of us have these similar struggles. And, and we may deal with them differently. We may respond differently to different medications. But when it comes down to it, like a lot of the struggles are so similar. And, and we can just learn so much from each other, I think. I, I think the biggest disadvantage, and, and I, I'm, I tell people openly, like I'm a college dropout. I, part of me feels like college not as overrated. There are some jobs where I please, please go to college and learn these things. Take as much time as you need if you're doing heart surgery, you know, but I think that I set myself up for failure going into college because some of my ADHD superpowers had worked for so long until they didn't. I was the person, I think people ask me like one of my favorite books and it, it's literally one of the dullest books in the world, but Silas Marner, um, this book, I'm sorry, the book is boring. Um, but I read it in like one day because there was some piece of it that just got a hold of me and I was able to read it, write the book report and be done, you know, within like 48 hours of the deadline. And I got an A on it. And in my mind, it's like, okay, this is a superpower. Like I know that when crunch time happens, I will be able Uh to, to just like 
crank it out and be done and I'll be all right. And then you go into like a chem two class where you have to do labs your entire semester and things legitimately take time and you just don't have enough time. It's, it's like the uh, kind of the free diving thing that I was talking yeah. about. It's like you wait until you you don't have any enough air left to make it up. So you wind up failing and, you know, you haven't dealt with failure before and you don't know how to handle those things. And Mm -hmm. at the end, you just kind of collapse. And unfortunately, when when we collapse, I don't know if there's a, a tie between like like manic states or not but when i collapse i collapse hard and and I, i've always said it's basically because i i quote unquote run fast it's like i'm doing a thing i'm doing it i'm doing i'm doing it and it's like going higher and higher and higher and then when you fall you have to fall all the way down there is nothing to catch <laughs> you um so it hurts and mm-hmm. i i think that that's where helping people at an earlier age not just to understand that they have it, but also to understand where the dangers of it will be and how they can even use some of those superpowers to their advantage within the boundaries of like, yeah, if Mm -hmm. you want to cram and do this, do it. Just lie on your report and say it's due a week before it actually is. (laughs) (laughs) Or or on your... uh... You can also strategize. Like there's some tasks that really do lend themselves better to the deadline. And and they're usually the ones that you dread the least or, or dread the most or that are very, very brain dead. Um, so like if all you're doing is filling out a form and you do not have to like do a lot of mental work to fill out a form. Okay. But you could also actually benefit by doing that one super early in the process uh, because there's those two motivational windows like right when something's been assigned but you don't think you should actually start it yet but like there isn't resistance yet either Um, that's actually a great window to capitalize on and then before the deadline things like I don't know updating your resume or writing a personal statement for the first time um, those are the kind of things that I don't I legitimately don't know how to do those until the deadline because I'm so busy worrying about being judged that I'm going to put it off forever. And I really do need that deadline. What does that mean? That means all the other stuff that isn't that need to be done way in advance. And that's their real deadline. Yeah. And and I've even, and again, I think a lot of that is also thinking about some of the careers that are advantageous to people who have ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a good, a good example of that is developer advocacy. I will, I will advocate for ADHD people being advocates as much as possible because it is <laughs> literally a job where we get to learn on the job. <laughs> like your job is nice. to learn about things and tell people about the things that you've learned. And you learn about the little things and present those at meetups and you learn about the big things and present those at conferences. Like that is an amazing thing to do. And it's all just tied around a company that you, you know, that you work for. And one of the things that I've done recently to kind of cater to my ADHD-ness is I pick like almost like capstone projects where like I pick a big project and I know that the first time that I present on that project is going to be terrible because I probably finished it like a couple of days before the deadline. (laughs) And 
the thing is, that's just the first time I've given that presentation. I'll give that presentation three or four times throughout the year. And if it's a meetup or an event like that, I probably have given that presentation like eight to 10 times throughout the year. <laughs> so by the end of the year, I've given that same presentation so many times. I know where I need to make those changes. I know where I need to make different inflections. And that's that's almost like, you know, this idea of podcasting where I get up and people are like, oh, what are we going to talk about? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> like, but I've, <laughs> I've been doing it for seven years now. So it's like, I, I kind of know in my head the directions that I want to go to. And I, I feel like I can pull those questions out. But at the same time, I can't, I can't do that type of work unless I'm in a role that caters to that type of work. Mm-hmm. And by the way, you listed another awesome ADHD superpower. It's learning. Oh, yeah. Um, we have a love of learning. Don't always love school, but the learning itself, yes. <laughs> Hate, hated school. I listened to like six trivia podcasts a week. And I actually used to be on our school's trivia team. I was literally the person with the worst grades on our trivia team. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I've never been able to recall just the right word at the right time. Um, like, I'm not good at nouns, basically. <laughs> it's but it's like yeah. most things where a lot of stuff like this is just a it's a system, and it's like if yeah. you learn the system, if you learn the mnemonics, like the weirdest of things will just pop into your head. And I know my <laughs> wife hates me for it all the time. Cause I'll, I, I always give her the, Oh, did you know? And she's like, no, I didn't, but you're going to, you're going to inform me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's funny. That's very good. Any other questions, thoughts? Oh. I'm, I'm here. Yeah. Um, Okay, so you said what uh, some useful things for parents and like being an example. Um, what are other things that you feel like would help the ADHD treating community to reach out to people who might not otherwise actually seek it or um, somehow to reach out? So there are, I, I will say one, the, the social media planet that we've yeah. inhabited now um, is it is a good one but I think it's both good and bad because there it there needs to be enough space for you to talk about things that are in a way that are accurate and complete and mm -hmm. I think that that's where I see a lot of folks that are like, oh, well, I will just, I'll create a YouTube channel called How I Manage My ADHD. And the thing is, they they speak on it as if it is like, this is the time and tested approach. This is what works mm. for everybody. They don't mention that it's their solution to, the, to their issues. Uh -huh. and, and people wind up trying it and it not working and then that only makes the problem worse because now you're not going to go seek help because and, yeah. yeah so uh, i i think that it there has to be a there has to be a way that if you're going to utilize social media if you're going to use a 60 second tiktok or a minute and a half you know instagram post that talks about you know hyper focus 
you you can't not not once it it needs to have more substance and if you want to use that as a way to point people to a longer but yet still engaging cuz i know that's a hard topic to hit <laughs> longer yet still engaging um if you want to be able to point people in that direction then do that but don't don't give people the idea that they're going to get you know, an hour long therapy session or an hour long coaching session in a 60 second TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> I've never gone down the TikTok rabbit hole. It's um, interesting. I, my brother kept sending me ones to, to send me down the rabbit hole. And I was like, I don't think I can afford this just time wise. One of my rules is I don't, I don't use go on TikTok until like after my daughter's in bed. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, no, as long as there's some rules, it, it helps. But, yeah, yeah. And, and now actually one of the things that does help with that is like my wife and I, my wife does not have a TikTok account and yet she, we'll sit there looking at my phone, just scrolling <laughs> through them because it is, it is a, it is definitely a trap, but she is much better at, at being able to say, okay, I'm going to bed now. And I go, oh, you know what? You're right. I should probably go to bed. Is that why we want the neurotypicals? Yes. Help me please go to bed on time. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I might be saying that to somebody in particular. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's hard. Bed is hard. Life is exciting. Um, yeah, okay. Um, it, it sounds like what would be useful is is really to dive in and really to try to engage, but also accept that there's variability as my coaching ADHD coaching instructor said, when you've met somebody with ADHD, you have met one person with ADHD. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with explaining your ADHD life story and like talking about the things that you've done, but they, they do need to be from the perspective of this is what I do. And, and I've, I've tried to do that. Well, I mean, I can't shamelessly plug myself on my own. Well, I guess I could. Um, like in the videos that I put on YouTube, like I try to express like, hey, I have ADHD. And because of that, here are some things that have happened. But I rarely try to come up with solutions and instead mm -hmm. offer suggestions. And, and in there, it's often like, Hey, I was talking with someone else and, you know, they really got me thinking about this area and almost at the end of every single video, it ends with, I don't know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I've, I've been talking all this time. I don't know. And, and yeah, I, I, I did see that in the couple I picked up. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, yeah. Yeah. This was a long thought, thought exercise. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> thought exercises are interesting. I mean. I, I had a client who said, so what other things have you been on? Because what he wanted was the long rants I would sometimes go on while I was coaching him that were useful, um, but without paying for them if they already existed somewhere <laughs> else, which I totally respect. And, like some people really do appreciate that. Just like, let's mentally walk through this thing together. Yeah. And and I mean, I, I love those conversations where I've been talking with someone and you know, you, you learn so much from them. And I, I think that that's, to me, there's more value in the idea of someone who 
didn't have, who doesn't have ADHD or someone who might be a little bit more in control of, of where they're at with their ADHD said this. And these were my thoughts because I, I think mm-hmm. often people aren't I'm trying to think of how to word this without making people mad. People aren't looking for the solutions. They're looking for validations. And mm-hmm. that is in general, like kind of my whole get up on the productivity community as a whole is stop, stop telling people the best solution because it's not the best solution. It's the best solution for you. Um, but <laughs> anyway, the, in, in a world where there are people who again, haven't been treated for some of these, the things that are bothering them. And there's a stigma around seeking treatment because they might there i've had people that tell me like how did i explain to my job that i have adhd and i was just like i i told them (laughs) like like, and you don't have to tell them either yeah it's it's like it's your choice yeah and and they were just like well i i just feel like they would treat me differently if i have adhd and i was like again one, there are kind of laws against that, but also there's, I understand the fear because it's never been expressed. There are people mm-hmm. that don't know, like there are people that don't know in California, people can't tell me about my hair. Like people, like my employer can't tell me to change my hair. It's against the law for them to have me go against my natural hairstyle, which what I'm rocking uh-huh. right now is arguably natural, but <laughs> <laughs> But it's like, that's the thing. And I think that's why, that's why the, the hunger for information and knowledge is so powerful is that the people that are wanting the knowledge, they will consume everything that you put out there. And we see that we see that like productivity and, and all of this stuff, it's always at the top of like different charts of whether it's YouTube or book sales or whatever. And it's because these are people that are trying to figure out what is going to work for them. So it's like, you have to, you have to just be okay with like, Hey, I'm, I'm on the hunt as well. I am know to know that I'm recording my hunt, not necessarily, you know, providing the knowledge. And if you, and if you're an expert in it and you have that knowledge, just do everybody a favor and share it. (laughs) Like share, share your sources. Don't, don't, don't just say do this because we're going to ask why. And we're such why people, (laughs) such why people, we need reasons. Because it's not a reason. Oh, that so there have been books. <laughs> there have been books, I'll just say that, uh-huh. that are just like, oh, do this because blah 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 blah. And it's like, well, wait, 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 wait. What about that one part? You you said that. Why does that happen? And it's like nothing else in the book about it. And I'm like, well, hold on. <laughs> we, we we just we just glanced over something here. <laughs> uh yeah. And and I think sharing the journey is important. I mean, when people join an ADHD group of some kind, um, I mean, whether it's pure support or whether it's, you know, one with a purpose, like more of a mastermind, um, that is a huge thing that they get out of it is, is the things that I struggle with task wise are not what, you know, my partner struggles with. Um, like they're not the same struggles and having other people who actually get 
I called the dentist yesterday and that that is a huge accomplishment um, for us. That feels so much better than somebody in our lives who's well-meaning and loves us but just doesn't get it saying, wait, why was that hard? But we can do very big, impressive things, which only confuses the other people in our lives more. <laughs> Why could you do the big thing, but you can't do the little thing? Because my brain. Um, anyway, having those things can help help you get a bunch of people's journey really quickly um, and see where everybody is on the same page. And I, I've had people come away from groups saying, oh, my gosh, I am so inspired to, you know, clean my garage now. I, I saw this one guy's photos that he posted or or something like that. And it's. It's somebody else whose brain works, you know, very similarly, but not exactly like yours doing this thing. It can give us ideas and inspiration and it, they may not have all the answers, but like I now came away with more things to try than I did before and more understanding of it's not just me and, and other people sharing in my journey. And I, I think that there is a kind of a, a thought of slowing down because we know that we know the dangers of going too fast. And I mean, a good example of that is I think one of the common ADHD tropes is like, you know, you have ADHD if you've just grown to like cold coffee. Um, <laughs> I mean, I use a Chemex. Oh, and the number I, of times. Yeah. It's like, I, I literally have a process. Like it takes me 10 to 15 minutes to brew coffee because <laughs> I have my own little process that I have to do so that I know like, yeah, I might not get to drink coffee till 1 PM, but I'm going to have hot coffee. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> not going to be cold. <laughs> <laughs> oh Yeah. But yeah. I, I I get that all the time though because I mean people I'm I'm a bullet journalist so people are always mm -hmm. like oh bullet journal that's a you make your stuff look pretty I was like no <laughs> no I don't I make it look terrible but at the a same and ask the founder of the bullet journal how pretty his is exactly and <laughs> and and even with that like people are like well how do you how do you handle events and I was like giant wall calendar and they're like well do you use apps like of course I use apps but you know what my source of truth is giant wall calendar <laughs> because the apps just hold the links to the zoom calls I, I don't want to type <laughs> in the zoom call link <laughs> but I've I've we've we've tried every app we've tried all the solutions and we and when we find something that works the worst thing that someone can do is say yeah, but it doesn't do blah, blah, blah. And this does blah, blah, blah. Because you're literally telling us that the, the fountain of youth doesn't make us young forever. <laughs> like you're, <laughs> you're, you're telling our entire lives were a lie because we spent 15 years trying to figure out how to do a job. And when we finally come to a conclusion that just works and it's inefficient and it's sloppy and it's messy, but it works. And people are like, oh, well, if you did blah, 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 blah. And it's like, if you don't go away. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a client who hired me um, to help him come up with a productivity system. Um, you know, he was already all in Apple stuff and was like, oh, this is a great fit. You can tell me all the things. I can tell him all the big things. But um, we sat down for our first meeting and because he needed something to keep track of the stuff. And, you know, what does any good coach say? So what are you hoping it does for you? Like, what do you need it to do? Tells me what he needs it to do. And I was like, okay, so when did you have a system that did that accomplished those goals that worked the best for you or was the closest to success? He's like, well, I had a notebook and I kept all the things in the notebook. And 
What was wrong with that? I stopped using it. Okay. I feel like I need something technological. I was like, well, why don't you try this for a week? <laughs> and get another notebook. <laughs> and he's stuck with the notebook. Like, I mean, you have to do what actually legitimately works for you. And it, it doesn't matter what all the other tools in the world have if you, the thing that has worked the best for you is not that. It's it's always an interesting thought when you're you're like when people ask you for help and it's like I and and this this is kind of like at one point I wanted to be a productivity coach and I mean at one point I was actually helping people and it was like I don't like this um, <laughs> but the thing that got me was I. I felt like I couldn't help someone other than having them realize that they already knew what to do in most cases. And I mean, the people that genuinely didn't know what to do, like I would always just say, let's, let's kick it old school. I'm going to grab an index card and tell me what you need to do. I'm going to write it down on that index card and give it to you. And then they go, well, but I need to do that. And I was like, well, well, hold on, hold on. We have our one index card. Is the one thing that you need to do more important than this thing? Yes. Okay. Give me this next card back and I'm going to write you a new one. And just kind of getting them into the <laughs> idea of like, let's get you actually completing things because who cares about yeah. all the other things that you got to do five, six, seven months from now, if you can't think about the thing that you got to get done in five minutes. And it, like, while that's helpful and stuff, it's at the same time, there are people that, like I said, they don't, they don't want you to tell them the solution. They want you to validate that they like, oh yeah, you're right. You should be using OmniFocus. Oh yeah, no, you're right. Things is definitely the tool for you. Oh no, 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 no. You're so right. I think Todoist is going to do wonders for your productivity and don't forget to store it all in Notion or Evernote or Chrome <laughs> Research. And it's like, it's like no matter what you tell them, it's like, what do you want to do? Do you want to put it in Rome Research? Put it in Rome Research. Guess what? If it's not going to work for you, like you're going to want to put it in somewhere else. Instead of worrying about that, let's just get you accomplishing things. And then you can play with all the tools that you want because you've done all the things that are important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll usually say, okay, well, while you're building up these habits, if it's task management, what's the very simplest place, way that you, if I ask you, what do you need to do? You look at that one place sure. and whatever it is, let's start there because that's going to be way easier to review. It's going to be way easier to look at. Um, just like, let's start with that. Where's that list? And I usually make them stick to one. I was like, I don't care what it is. But like, let's pick something simple and start there. And then as you need something more complex, add on. But they can pick. Is it is it Apple Notes? Is it a piece of paper? Is it a notebook? Um, is it reminders? What Whatever. Start there. Make sure you know, if I ask you, what do you need to do? Can you rattle it off by reading it? Not because it's in your head. And, and like, just because that saves on our working memory so much. I was like, I don't care what the thing is. Let's pick it. And then when it becomes inadequate, then we troubleshoot and add stuff in. I am on record of not being a fan of the base camp crew. Um, more of a leadership <laughs> thing, more of a leadership thing than a productivity thing. But one of uh -huh. the things that they put in uh, one of their books, I don't remember. I've read all of them. So I don't know. Um, but they put higher when it hurts. And I feel like 
kind of like that idea of like, hey, you know, we stay lean, we stay small and all that stuff. And, you know, we only hire somebody when it is clearly obvious and it's so obvious that it's painful that we need to hire someone else. And to me, I feel like I wish more people would take that into their productivity, like stance of like, I will only add something or or let go of something when it truly hurts. Because again, I think a lot of people, I will say a lot of folks that I have met are often wanting to change because they want to be cool. Not because, yeah, <laughs> or in, in, in my a world work of is nerds. so important, I need the fancy tool. Yeah. Well, guess what? The fancy tool is harder to clean up when the old stuff becomes stale and outdated. Oh, I feel so bad because we're at work. We use Monday and it's like we don't have a choice. It's like, hey, we were told we have to use this. And I was like, um, you realize this is a blank slate, right? And I'm like, yeah, it's like you can you can put whatever you want in there. And I was like. That's not the right words to tell me. No, because <laughs> I no, would it's put not. It, and I'm looking at my diversity board now, where it's like every other board is like four or five columns. Mine's like twenty, <laughs> and <laughs> I have fifteen different views that utilize four or five columns of each individual ones. And people are just oh. like, "How do you navigate this?" And I was like, "Oh, what are you looking for? I can tell you where it is." <laughs> it was like, "Hey, that was your problem. You said I had to use it." <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. And then they said, put everything in. Um, yep. So uh, I mean, you said like, let go of something when it hurts. Do you mean a system that's working when it hurts or like an actual task? I, I might I, push back on the task part. I would say on a system, like if, okay. you're, if you're using your notebook and people go, well, what about events? It's like, well, just uh, find something for the events part and keep using your system. And if they go, oh, well, this app can do the task. And this is it part of my system. No, it's not. So therefore, my system doesn't get fired because it doesn't do this one thing. And it's like if if all of a sudden you're missing appointments because whatever you've done is clearly not working, that's when you start to look for new results because the the problem that I see with that is people tend to start struggling when they start looking for something else. And it's like, Oh, I'll, just, <laughs> I'll put this stuff in OmniFocus and figure it out. And it's like, I, I have all of the apps on my computer and sometimes I will literally write them down just to delete them and then add them to my notebook just so that I got it. <laughs> I, I got it down for like a quick 30 seconds. It was like, Oh, this is in my head. Just, type in something and then like, okay, now that I've gotten it out of my head, let me just immediately write it down in my notebook and then delete the task. <laughs> because some, sometimes I need that. Sometimes in the, in the minute of like, I'm listening to someone talk while I'm also looking at like a document. And if I mm -hmm. look down at my paper, I'm going to lose my place in my word document, which is going to make me forget what the person is talking about. So it's like, yeah, if I can just do a quick ad somewhere and then like, OK, yeah. now that thought's been locked down. Now this person stopped talking for a second. I can look at that and write it down. <laughs> yeah. And and that is a really hard thing, I feel like, for a lot of us to accept um, this idea of like, it's OK to write it when it's already written somewhere. Mm -hmm. If it's all in the same place, you'll know where it is. And you probably won't if you start putting things in multiple places. And I know I've struggled with that. Like, it's okay to write something down that has already been written. Um, and, and I see other folks who struggle with that too. Um, sometimes uh, a lot, my high schoolers who have these, you know, 
computerized school systems that were completely not meant to the extreme uses they've been put to in the last year. And they're like, oh, yeah, all my assignments are there. I was like, yeah, but in like eight different places, you need a master list that contains what you're really doing. Like, I don't care about that assignment you decided you're not doing. That doesn't go on your list. Only the list, only the assignments you're doing. And Oh, go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead. Oh, no, it's just like make whatever it is. It's okay to write something that already down that already exists because it's not worth your brain space to have to go through canvas and try to find it again. I I don't I don't want to turn this into a coaching session, but I do have one ADHD like related question <laughs> that it. it will bother me if I don't ask. So uh-huh. I have again the whole bullet journal thing. Yeah, I keep a copy of all of the all of my old notebooks on like a shelf, uh-huh. and I never go through them. Yeah, that's common. Like, and, and I, I hear so many people talk about, well, what if you need that one thing from that one time back in 1985? And it's like, I mean, I could technically find it, but theoretically, I, I never do. So why is it a problem? Why, why, like, is that, that's not a me thing then that's, that's like, a okay, okay now we're just asking questions to be stupid i I guess i had somebody who wanted to scan every one of their notebooks and i've thought about that and i i was challenging it as a task it's like a project to take on you have to know that you're going to do something with it and that you don't need to use that time and energy for anything else um I, i came to the solution that if i could find a service where i could mail them the book and they would send me back the book but also a digital copy then i would do it otherwise i'm not going to but yeah i mean and i don't i don't take physical notes um I mean, I do with Apple Pencil and an iPad, but not like on a piece of paper. Yeah. Um, but but if if I did, I would have to tell myself, when does that get done? It's sometime after all of those old family photos get scanned. That's for sure. Yeah. And if it's going to be that far down the line, do I need to keep them around? Now, that's easy for me to say. I don't have the notebooks, right? I didn't yeah. put effort into that. There's huge things around sunk cost fallacy. But I will say this. The ADDers that I see that are, you know, genetic ADDers, some are diagnosed, some are not. Um, but the ones that seem to struggle with it the least are the ones whose default behavior is to throw stuff away. Yes. Do they get in trouble sometimes? Yep, sure, they do. But but they don't have as much other stuff to sift through. And we're not that great at sifting through old stuff. And so I do try to remember that when I'm like, okay, if like a, a manuals for like devices I'm never going to go look up the manual. I'm going to Google it. I'll find that way faster than through some box or some drawer. And I probably won't look at the drawer to even decide if I kept it or not. And realistically, that's what I do. I don't look them up. I don't find them. I don't do anything with them. So they go in the recycle bin as soon as I'm sure I'm not returning the thing. (laughs) I, I I would be really interested if someone went through my photo library and just pulled out QR codes and URLs. <laughs> like, I, I yeah. want a service that does that, where it scans the document and it looks for QR codes and URLs and just saves that as, like, I don't know, put that in, like, a Devon Think or something like that. I mean, it's, again, it, I I say all of that in that I have I have a Devon Think and I have a process in which I go through and meticulously decide what goes into Devon Think and mm-hmm. what doesn't. And I have my notebooks and all of that stuff, and I I keep them because I want to keep them. I don't keep them to 
to think that I'll actually ever go through them until I'm like 60 one day. And it's like, I really want to think about my career as I'm hopefully getting ready to retire. And I'm like, oh man, I remember vaguely <laughs> when, <laughs> when I was doing something around this idea. And like, to me, that's why I want to keep them. But uh-huh. this, this idea and it can that, be interesting, yeah. but, but in general, like make sure you have an idea of how likely you are to do a thing or what its value is. Yeah. And, and I'm, I am very much on the throw it away, like very, like not minimalism levels because I have plenty of trinkets, but it's like, <laughs> If something is of no value to me, like I, I have to put everything in a box and show my wife the box first because there will be things in there where she's like, you're really going to throw this away? And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> I missed that <laughs> one. Let me put that back. <laughs> or she'll be like, um, this is mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have a similar routine of, hey, can you check this for me? <laughs> Yeah, check my math on this uh, Goodwill box. Definitely. Oh, that's that's the worst because I again I if I'm not using it, I want someone else to use it. So like clothing and, and stuff. If just I'm in the goes. motive, I just clean this stuff up. I want to finish the task before I get distracted on something else. And finishing the task means taking it to Goodwill. Mm. Oh, see, that's that's the one part where I fail. <laughs> I'll get everything I in bags sometimes. and fill the bags, put the bags in the back of our SUV. And then my wife will come back and say, I dropped off all that stuff because I went to go pick up groceries and I couldn't put anything in the back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can't easily make that mistake. But that's why sometimes I want to do it right away without stopping, because I know if it waits an hour, it waits weeks. Like the, mm-hmm. uh, there's no middle ground. Definitely. 